Hey there, and welcome to Jewelry Navigator Podcast. I'm your host, graduate gemologist, Brenna Pakes. As a jewelry professional, I'm in a unique position to share jewelry tips and stories. More than ever, it's important to support small, independent jewelry designers and businesses. It's my pleasure to guide consumers to smart jewelry choices through an informative and entertaining platform. For sneak peeks into upcoming episodes and features, follow me on Instagram at Jewelry Navigator. And also keep an eye out for news and the latest platforms on which you can find me. With that, welcome aboard and enjoy today's episode of Jewelry Navigator Podcast. You know, the people who are really interested in, in, in demonstrating are the places that really sell the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that's where I want to be. That's my store. You know, I think people have to be, I think designers have to be picky about who's going to represent your brand. Because if you're just going to let it sit there, you know, like I said, this is not just a necklace. This is a necklace you can wear in different ways. Or this is not just a necklace. This is a 400 million year old fossil sand dollar. And there's a story behind it. I mean, say yeah. something. That's Nan Fusco, my guest today on Jewelry Navigator Podcast. One of Nan's superpowers is making her jewelry versatile and beautiful at the same time. She uses aspects of changeability and movement from her abacus rings and earrings to jewelry scarves and long necklaces designed with engineering aspects that create a statement, Nan incorporates appealing design concepts with texture and movement for jewelry creations that are classic fun and had women buying her creations right off her neck. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and you can find Nan on Instagram at the real Nan Fusco. Thanks so much for tuning in today and enjoy the episode. How you started Nan Fusco and um, your jewelry line. It's, it's a great story because I love sharing um, designer stories like yours where you come from a background that's totally different from jewelry and design. And then you just boom found yourself in the middle of it because it was just the way your, your life and your career evolved. So just tell, tell us a quick um, synopsis of how your jewelry design brand came about. Well, it's, believe me, it's been a long circuitous route, but um, it all makes sense as I look back in retrospect, how it began as a graphic designer. I've always been enthralled with color. It's just part of graphic design and, and, and I love color. And at that time, which was the early 2000s, you know, every jewelry store was just this big mush of diamonds. It was nothing interesting and it was all, it looked very contrived and, and manufactured and there was nothing fun or edgy about it. And, or, you know, you could get the very tasteful little settings with little, you know, precious stones or whatever, but it was nothing nothing earth shattering or edgy or cool. Mm -hmm. And, um, at the other end of the spectrum, it was just very cheap and crafty. The, what you would find in a little boutique or something. And I had no interest in that. I want something better and finer. So I just started playing around and, um, one thing led to another. I mean, I, I just became 
enthralled with gemstones because I really knew nothing about them. And I would, I didn't want the, all the perfectly cut stones from lapidary. I just wanted something edgier and more natural looking. And that's where I was at that time, you know? So I, I started finding, um, you know, rough cut citrines and, and, and then that moved into more, you know, like wild colors, like, uh, rhodolite and, and peridot. And then I started combining colors and then it just, it just seemed to work. You know, I had so much fun with the ties and pinning gemstones. And then I would, then it, it sort of transitioned into the fine jewelry. I started with silver and that rapidly transitioned into fine because I was so inspired by Gurhan and what he was doing with that deep, beautiful, deep gold, like that Turkish 22 carat, you know, yellow gold with color. And that just rocked my world. And I said, I have to start playing with that. (laughs) And that's when gold was so inexpensive. And, um, you know, I could get a gram of gold for 16 bucks, you know, Mm -hmm. so it allowed me that, that freedom to just buy and buy gold and, and start playing. Um, and I think we talked about that. I was not trained in any kind of jewelry manufacturing. Like I didn't know how to solder and I didn't know um, how to do molds, right? So I, I figured out a way to compose these pieces without those jewelry skills. <laughs> and it ended up using like head pins to pin the pin the uh, the little sapphires on, and then or just using wire and then hiding it some way. So you couldn't tell that I had no clue what I was doing. <laughs> but, it worked. And I think that was just my graphic design kind of figuring out ways to compose uh-huh. without those skill sets. And it, it worked. And what I've always done from the beginning, from the very beginning, is is make my jewelry really fun and interactive, where um, there's, there's hooks and pulleys and ties where you could just do all kinds of things, depending on, you know, how you wanted to compose the piece, you know? So that's why you could tie it high or tie it low or just tie a few of them and throw the rest behind you or, you know, just, just make it fun and interesting instead of just like one thing on a chain and that's it. So that's, that's when I, why I always start thinking of things like um, the ancient abacus, you know, where I have things that move, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the abacus where you slide the things back and forth. And that's why I made, made earrings where you slide the pearls across a bar and, or, you know, the pearls spin or, you know, just, just interactive jewelry. I think that's fun and different. Um, I don't know. I'm like, I'm kind of all over the place, but they're all, they're all part of my whole graphic design headset, you know, or mindset where I can, I love to do all different kinds of things. And, um, you know, it was the same, it's the same um, mindset as when I was doing graphic design and we, we had an ad agency and for our clients, you know, maybe one client was very conservative. So we would work the design in a very conservative sort of corporate way. And then, and then we'd get another client that was like fun and funky and they wanted something. So that's why I'm kind of all over the place because I know how to do that. I know mm-hmm. how to adapt. So that's why when I see a stone, I know what to do with it. Like I see it in my head and I know what to do. Yes. Um, But then with the fine jewelry, it has to be more refined and more simple, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's where like the, the abacus rings. Mm -hmm. So it's a series of square bands. Mm -hmm. 
and then there are, there are separate uh, sliders that you can slide across each of the bands. So you can, you know, compose it on your finger if you want two over here or all three at once over here. Right. Anyway, so that, that's, that's what I did for, for the abacus, which is really fun. I love that. I love anything fidgety because yeah, I feel <laughs> it's almost like a worry stone, you know, like you don't, yes. you just play with it all day long. Yeah, exactly. And the same thing with the earrings. I, I imagine exactly what you're talking about, your pearl earrings, how, you know, how sometimes we just kind of play with our earrings. Yeah, exactly. And you could slide the pearls back and forth or, mm-hmm. you know, and then there's another one that's just a single one where you just spin it, you know, you can spin them. Right. But um, that's what I mean about being interactive and, and hands-on with the jewelry. It just makes it more fun and interesting. Yes. Yeah. So that that's how it sort of evolved uh-huh. um, to the point where I had all these really cool pieces. Uh, one was like a pulley where you would, you would wear it um, long. There would be all these pearls at the bottom and then it would loop through a ring. So when you pulled on it, it would turn into a lariat. Uh-huh. And it was uh-huh. hard to envision in, in your head, but it just, it, it worked. And it was really this cool um, thing that would give you versatility with your fine jewelry. Yeah. And, um, and then came the hook where it was this open-ended long chain piece. And at each end were like hooks, mm-hmm. but there were circle stations all along the, the chain line. So you mm-hmm. could literally hook it anywhere you wanted. You could crisscross it around your neck you could hook it as a bracelet you could uh-huh. wear it as a belt you could put it in your hair and have a chain wow. tie I mean it was just <laughs> and I just thought that that to me is the ultimate with jewelry to be to have it that versatile mm-hmm. um and a piece of fine jewelry that you can't wear just one way you could wear it mm-hmm. all different like a hundred ways it'd mm-hmm. never be the same yeah yeah that's great I was talking recently to one of my um previous guests this past week about how it's so refreshing to have women designers in fine jewelry because ultimately there there are times just like you said you know the pendant the typical pendant style there are limitations there's only so much you can there's only one thing you can do with it unless you want to turn it into a charm for a bracelet but if it's got gemstones that are you know not um, tough enough, it's going to get banged up on, you know, in a charm bracelet. So to have um, designers thinking outside the box like that for the purpose of versatility, it's so wonderful to have that in, in our, you know, on our side nowadays that you can do so much more with just one piece. That's wonderful. Exactly. Because mm-hmm. I, I just feel like when you have such a statement-y sort of necklace with just a pendant in the middle, you, you wear it once and everybody goes, ooh, gorgeous. And then the next time you say, oh, there it is again. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Where, whereas with something like the hook, you know, you could, you could quadruple wrap it around your neck and have a choker, like this really chunky chain choker mm-hmm. around your neck. Or you could wear it as a lariat or you could, you know, you know wear it as a belt. Or you could, like I said, you could put it in your hair. You can, you know, eight times wrap it around and make it a bracelet. And that way it's, it also is, I've heard the perfect travel piece, as all <laughs> of my clients say, because you don't have to load up your, your suitcase with a bunch of pieces that you take uh-huh. with you. You can just one piece will do it all, which oh. is really great, you know? Yeah. yeah, that's a really good point. So do you still design those kind of pieces? Oh, Yeah. 
they're, okay. they're standard, they're standard um, in the collection. You know, they'll always be a part of the collection. Um, I'm revamping the hook now because um, the last time I, uh, the last time I, I designed the hook, I, it was like 10 years ago and I think it needs an update. Yay. So I'll update that. And then when those kind of pieces came out, you in the Tundra piece, you shared your story about how you were discovered. Um, I mean, basically people were buying necklaces off your neck. Like you would be shopping and in, um, and Neiman Marcus and women would come up to you and say, Oh my gosh, where did you get that? <laughs> right. And that's how I ended up being, you know, going to their precious jewelry department because, um, so many women started wearing my pieces and they were all Neiman Marcus shoppers. Mm-hmm. And finally, one of the, you know, a few of the stylists actually just said, who is this person? <laughs> Cause they had, you know, their regular designers in their, in their department. And then that's when they called me in. Mm-hmm. So, um, and like I said, I was so green. I had no clue what I was doing. I was just making things because it was fun. I right. never intended for this to be my career. So, um, I didn't even have a case. I had like 15 pieces that I could take with me uh-huh. and I put them in like a computer case. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I mean, totally unprepared for this, but it, I think that maybe was the charm of it that I, I was so new at this and I really didn't know what I was doing. And uh-huh. it just, it, it seemed like the whole aesthetic of what I was doing because there was nothing like it there. Right. Um, right. And that's when they said, you know, we really have a problem. You need to, you need to uh, increase your prices. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I'll do that. <laughs> that's always a good problem. thing okay. to hear. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, that was too cheap for them. And I didn't, that's another part of it that, I really didn't know what I was doing as far as the pricing. I thought, well, that's a fair price for this. And it was 18 karat gold and some of them were 22 karat gold. And, mm-hmm. and apparently they said, no, you could get a lot more for this than that. <laughs> so, um, so that's when I just uh, said, okay, I'll do it. And, and it seemed like um, the more confidence you get in your pieces, the more confident you are to charge what they are worth as far as the design and the materials. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, that, that was a process as well, mm-hmm. learning how to do that. And, um, and there's like no one to help you with that because you don't, you can't ask another designer. It's like, well, how do you price your things? You know? So it's really a matter of experimenting and figuring out what works for um, the pieces and, and, and who are looking at these pieces, you know, the audience, sometimes you just have to charge more. Um, it's a psychological thing. Like mm-hmm. some people say, well, if it's that cheap, how good could it be? Mm-hmm. So, um, that's so interesting because, um, from a consumer standpoint, it's hard for, it's hard for people to understand why jewelry costs what it does, but when right. you break it down, um, there are a couple different components. One is the material and the material made with fine jewelry. Of course, it's going to be gold and gemstones and diamonds. And then right. the other component is, um, you know, how rare is it? Is it one of a kind? Is it mass manufactured? Who made it? Um, how long did it take you to make? Is it hand done? So all of these things combine into something that they're going to purchase and no one else is going to have one just like it. 
So exactly. that in itself is and valuable. And that's also and that's also where the versatility comes in because if a person looks at this and say, "Wow, that's four thousand dollars," but guess what? You can wear this ten different ways. Yeah. And that really factors into the into the price of the piece as well. It's like it's so versatile. I'm really going to get my money's worth out of this, and it, it really that really makes the sale. Mm-hmm. I found mm-hmm. with a mm-hmm. lot of my pieces because people say wow, I can wear that so many different ways. That to me is worth it. Yeah. Okay. Here's a good question. When you were explaining these versatile pieces, when they're in stores, are they being um, demonstrated as such? Do the salespeople say, oh my gosh, I got to show you this because you can wear it this way. You can wear it this way. You know what? That has been a real process as well, because a lot of times, um, well, I'll give you an example. There was a boutique in Laguna that um, was carrying my pieces, and it was owned by a guy, and he was the only one there. There was no one helping him, and the, the pieces were in the case, along with you know a few other fine jewelry lines. And and um, and I said to him, "Are you showing people how to wear these pieces?" And he said, "You know what? I really don't have time to do that." Yeah. And I said, "But." that's part of the beauty of these pieces to show Mm -hmm. someone how they can be worn. And he couldn't be bothered. And I said, you know, this is not the store for me. And if you can't be bothered to show someone how unique um, and versatile these pieces are, which is a bonus for your boutique too. I mean, Mm -hmm. why wouldn't you want to share that with your customers? He just didn't have the time. So Mm -hmm. I pulled out of the store. I just said, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're not going to take interest in the line and it's not being snotty or being like a diva, but it's saying, you know, if you're going to carry the line, why don't you really show the line? Right. Show what you can do with it. And he couldn't be bothered. So yeah. um, I find that, you know, the people who are really interested in, in, in demonstrating are the places that really sell the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that's where I want to be. That's my store. You know, I think people have to be, I think designers have to be picky about, who's going to represent your brand because if you're just going to let it sit there you know like I said this is not just a necklace this is a necklace you can wear 10 different ways or this is not just a necklace this is a 400 million year old fossil sand dollar and there's a story behind it I mean say something yes yeah no the more you talk about the joy which I obviously I can do all day long I can yak about my pieces (laughs) all day long but when you talk about them they move and and that's what I try to tell people, especially, you know, new stores, I say, you have to talk about the jewelry. And so if you're just going to say, yeah, thanks. And do you have any questions? They say no. And it's like, uh oh, <laughs> <laughs> when you don't have any questions, that's worrisome to me. Right. I think right. you should ask questions because it, yeah. it's not just a, a, a stone around a chain. There's something to it. Yes. Yeah. So how this whole year has been so crazy as far as being able to reach out and showcase everything, jewelry, gemstones, every, every avenue, every industry, every aspect of, um, you know, business in, in every, in every area has been come to a screeching halt without having, without being able to have trade shows. I mean, there have been some that have been kind of trickled in and out, but the attendance just hasn't been there. So until, until that all gets cleared up and we can all return and be in person and see things, um, 
people aren't really going to be able to see things. So how, how are you um, reaching out to your, to your shops and doing that? Like, do you, are you slowly starting to do some more trunk shows so that you can be on site there so you can show people? Well, I miss that so much. I yeah. really miss going to my stores. Not that I'm in a ton of them because I only have two hands and <laughs> there's only so much I can produce. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, there's a store uh, in Houston that I've been in for eight years, which is amazing because usually a boutique will turn around designers a lot uh-huh. because once you've seen, once their clients have seen the collection, it's kind of, yeah, okay, next. You're right. <laughs> but um, I keep coming up with these new crazy things and they love it and their clients love it. So um, I'm always scheduled with them twice a year. Mm-hmm. Once uh, late before, once after Labor Day, and then right before Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. So I've got this Mother's Day show coming up, and I mean, it's always a great show. And I, um, they said, "Are you going to come?" And I, I'm thinking, I really want to. <laughs> I've been vaccinated. I got both my vaccines, and I really want to go. So I'm uh-huh. really, really considering it. Oh, um, good. And that'll be my first show in more than a year. So. I would love to go because their clients really do love talking to me and they look forward to what I bring to each, each show every time it's something different. And sometimes I'll come back with just a, a revise of some of the classics, you know, and like an update, but I'm always, you know, with the stones, always new stones. Like I'm constantly um, manufacturing these new pieces with all this purchase. So mm-hmm. it, new and it never gets tired I can't wait to go back I can't wait and I love Houston I hope you um, go I hope you go I hope I go too it's May so I think I've got a few more weeks to really think about it yeah figure out if I want to do it yeah yeah I I hope I hope so it'd be it's I think it's time it's time to start you know putting ourselves back out there yeah I think yeah and I've been in touch with a lot of my vendors anyway so I, I can buy you know, online where they can, we can FaceTime. So that's where, that's where it it sort of makes up for this, this horrible void in the Mm -hmm. last year. I know it has been a horrible void because I love, it's like my happy place. I love going to the shows. I love being in my own zone in my, in my head and just walking around and just looking at everything. It's just so amazing to see that like all the, the stones and the colors and trying to find new things and, um, new vendors. It's just my happy place. I yeah. love it so much. Yeah, no, I do too. It's, it is a magical event. And when, when someone says the Tucson show, they don't realize it's, it's like a world of shows. <laughs> oh, it's massive. Ma- and I didn't even know that the first time I went, mm-hmm. um, I actually went with an, with another designer who said to me, you've never, cause I, I, I never went. Uh-huh. And I always felt like I was missing the party, you know, it's like, what's happening there? What goes on? And I had no idea how mm-hmm. massive it was. Mm-hmm. And, and then that first time she said to me, these are the ones worth going to. And, and those are the ones I still go to, but you know, meandering around those shows like GJX, I, I found this really cool. I don't know if I talked about this our last time, this really cool um, stone cutter who had um, purchased the paving stones that were right outside of Albert Einstein's home 
in Bern, Switzerland, where he lived a hundred years ago. Uh-huh. And he cut them into shapes and everything. And I thought that is the coolest thing I have ever seen because it really literally created, creates a bridge from this genius and the jewelry that you wear. So I started making pieces using these Einstein paver beads and it comes with a certificate of authenticity and that rocks my world. I mean, that is such a story. Yes. Um, because through time and space, it's like you, this, this energy, you know, is created through, like he touched these stones. Oh my God. And I thought that was so cool. So I use that a lot in my pieces, um, the, the, the Einstein pavers and um, in bracelets and, you know, they're, they're the round ones and then the cone shapes, which I was putting diamonds in between the cones uh-huh. and making bracelets with a long tassel, you know, with the chain that moves. Um, so that to me is amazing. Those are the stories that I love. That's what I mean. It, you have to talk jewelry because it's not mm-hmm. just a piece. It's not just a bunch of stones that look, you know, like concrete. No, these are from Albert Einstein's home. Right. <laughs> so cool. Yeah. You know, just something, anything that's unusual or unique in jewelry, I'm, I'm all over it. Uh-huh. I love that because it does, um, it contributes to so much of our stories I feel like you know, we're attracted to certain things in our lives at certain points because of something that happened or as we mature, as we grow, our, our tastes change. I feel exactly. like, um, I feel like as, as I've grown, I've become more comfortable with wearing bigger jewelry. And right. it, it's funny. My daughters look at me and like, I, that's, that's, that's really weird, mom. I'm like, okay, well, you don't, <laughs> you don't have to have it when I'm finished with it. It's fine. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Well, I feel like, I feel like that, um, that younger, um, demographic really goes for the teeny tiny little, you know, mm-hmm. and to me, you know, that's, that's been around forever. It's not what I want to wear. Mm-hmm. I want to wear something really cool and unique and different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Yes. I'll never be a part of that little dainty kind of. Well, exactly. There's a generation and there's an age for it. And I think it's, it's part of, it's part of our evolution is figuring out, you know, what, what does that say about us? What does that say where you are in life? And as, as you mature, you, you're like, well, yeah, I, I kind of, I kind of want to wear that. I want to wear something big because I want something to show up and show people like, yeah, I worked hard for this. This is, I did, I worked hard for this, or this represents, you know, 25 years of marriage, or um, I bought these because I got a promotion or, you know, my daughter graduated high school. I wanted something to, to commemorate something big in my life. So I think it's a jewelry says a lot about, what's going on and what has happened. I agree. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think the older you get, the more confidence you have. And I think yep. you, that, you know, lets you feel more comfortable with wearing bigger things. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, well, I'm so excited for you that even though things are still like slowly getting moving and, you know, the shows aren't back, you're still, you're still doing well in, in the shops that you're away, in. Yeah. yeah, you are. The the major hiccup was the whole Instagram hacking because that really, um, that killed me. That <laughs> just killed me. It was, first of all, it was incredibly emotionally draining mm-hmm. because that was my lifeline, you know, to mm-hmm. a lot of people. I had 7,200 followers 
And now, you know, starting all over, I have 450. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's really a problem because I can't even set up my store because every time I try to do it, I get a pop-up that says, we're sorry, you have enough activity on your account to open mm-hmm. a store. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's infuriating because I had 7,200 followers. Yeah. And now they're saying, oh, you're, you're not, you're not uh, anybody because you just started up. And Facebook does nothing to help you. Nothing. I don't understand it. And it's something that um, it's obviously bigger than most people have time or effort or influence or resources to fight. So um, I'm glad we're talking about this because, and if anybody's curious, you can read the article by, um, I think it's Brittany Simmons did the article. Uh, Yeah. And in JCK, it's a great write-up and it's basically... Um, it's a, it's a, it's a warning. And unfortunately, Nan felt the brunt of it because just like she explained, um, someone threatened her account, hijacked it and, um, tried to sell it, <laughs> tried to sell it to the highest bidder. I mean, unreal. Which is so ridiculous. Who yeah. Would want someone else's jewelry account. You know, it's so stupid, but he wants $200 and I will not be extorted. I'm no. sorry. I'm not going to. No. And I've written to Facebook countless times. And now it's to the point where they won't even write back to me because it's like, well, we wash our hands of this. We've done all we can do, but they didn't do all they could do. You know, they mm-hmm. sent me uh, the first time they sent, it took them five days to get back to me, sent me a recovery link. I went back in, I managed to get back in. I removed his phone number his phone is a trusted device which is in all the settings I changed the password I changed the email um I had to give a new phone number because he blocked my phone number so I gave my husband's phone number because uh, you have to have a code they have to send you a code right so um and I enabled two-factor authentication Mm -hmm. and I thought this is bulletproof well that was a Friday by Sunday morning he had hijacked my account again And uh, even with two-factor authentication. So he created a backdoor and I literally had a meltdown because it was so emotionally draining that whole week to Mm -hmm. watch him try to sell my account. He he took my avatar off. He changed my uh, account name. So it was a series of vertical lines and dashes. So it looked like a, oh, I know it was really diabolical. And then said, I want $200. And it's like, screw you. I'm not, I'm not going to do this because I I read a lot about it and what they do is they come back three weeks later and say, now I want 200 more mm-hmm. and I will not be extorted. And mm-hmm. I wrote to Facebook so many times um, and they sent, finally sent me uh, another form letter that said, thanks for verifying your identity, enter this code. So you enter the code and it doesn't work. And then they say, and then your only option is need more help. Click here. So you click there and what do they do? They send a recovery code to the hacker's email. Oh no. I mean, I feel like I'm living in an insane asylum. Yeah. And I just said, you know what? I can't do this anymore. I am so, I am so emotionally drained and weary of this. They, they, they have no clue what they're doing. No clue. So you can't even get on the phone and talk to anybody. Which is, you is can't there, talk to anyone. There's no. no you, you can't talk to a person. You're at their mercy, literally just sending them 
mail, email after email, yeah. showing them screenshots. But what I found is they don't even read. They just send you a form letter. They don't even oh read. Gosh. And, and they, all they do is they send the hacker a recovery code. And it really mm-hmm. infuriates me because now he knows I'm trying to get back into my account because he's getting all these requests. And it's like, you know what? I'm done. I'm done. It's, un- it's unreal. And it's so unfortunate. I'm sure that there's some kind of legal action that you can take, but Facebook is... I don't have the energy. Exactly. I, I, I'm mentally drained from yeah. all of this. And, yeah. I, and I just thought, you know what? I'm just going to start over again. And some yeah. people have found me. I've reached out to others. The, the frustrating part of it is you reach out to people and you say, and these are people that I know were following me. Uh-huh. Hey, how are you? This is Nan. My account was hacked and please follow me here. Yeah. And they get really suspicious. <laughs> they go, how do I know this is you? And it's okay. It's really me. I mean, just go look at the page. You'll see. But they're still very wary and suspicious yeah. because I, apparently this is pretty rampant on <sighs> Instagram and, and no one's doing anything mm-hmm. to fix it. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just very frustrating. But I guess the most frustrating part about all this is that when you try to reach out to people, they, now they look and they forget, you know, they look and they say, oh, well, she only has 450 followers. She's not really anybody. Oh, you know what no. I mean? So it's like, well, oh, you're kidding me. Oh my gosh. Stores, even like boutiques or stores or people who are following other jewelry designers, you know, they just look and they say, oh, she's just starting. She's nobody, which is not, I'm not nobody. I'm, I've been around forever, you know, but that's how they see those low numbers. And then I can't even open my store until there's, you know, more activity. I know. It's a catch 22. It is. It really is a catch 22. It is. So... Um, that kind of brings us full circle to talking about what we can do. There's not a whole lot, obviously, there's not a whole lot we can do to protect ourselves online through a social media that's not ours. It's not, it's not our platform. It's not our content. We don't have any control over, obviously, who has access to it, unfortunately. So um, all we can do is control what we can control. And that's you know, um, connecting with our clientele, fostering new ways to connect with new people and um, just move forward with what we do have. And um, just so everybody knows, you can find Nan at the real Nan Fesco, right? On Instagram. Everybody listening, please follow Nan. Please. <laughs> she needs our help. She needs our help to build her Instagram following again, which was huge until this this terrible, unfortunate crime happened on, on her Instagram account. So um, it's no reflection on her success and her, um, you know, her, her business, the strength of her business. So, you know, all we can do is continue to do what we're doing and work with the stores, the physical stores that we're in. And just, I don't think that there's anything that can come close to just a simple, simple human contact and being in front of somebody like what we're doing, you know, having a conversation, talking about your jewelry, talking about, you know, the issues It all comes back around to those stores that you're in, in Houston, in Laguna beach, it's those people and 
who will see your jewelry and who will eventually see you again at trunk shows. That's where it really comes down to. Um, and then word spreads from there and your account's going to grow again. And who knows, Instagram could be gone tomorrow. And exactly, exactly. Like there, there's always going to be an, another app around the corner that's going to yeah. take over. And yeah. Well, it's been such a joy to talk to you again. I love always. Well, same here. Yeah. Love talking to you too. Thank you. And, um, I'll do everything I can to shout out about you and continue to steer people in your way. Please let me know if you end up going to Houston so I can help promote that as well. Oh, absolutely. Do whatever I can. And I'll keep watching and sharing your posts. Yeah. Right. I appreciate it. I really do. Yeah. Anything I'm going to send you, you some do. pictures of some of the Einstein pieces. They're really oh, I'd, cool. I'd love that. Yeah. Good. Yeah. All right, Nan. Well, it's great to see you again. And um, you too, Brenda. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Okay. Bye.